When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What do you know about all this? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. We'll see about that in a minute. It's you. No. No. Um, Pull to open. Pull to open. Yes, and what do you do? We'll brew a right old cocktail. Yes. Funny. Honey. Haven't we got enough trouble without you two fighting each other? Well, from our point of view, we're under siege. Now listen, everybody. Here comes the drums! Hello, and welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who, the entire television program, in random order. I'm Pete Paschal. And I'm Chris Taylor, and yes, we are somewhere fairly random today. We're coming to you from the moon's surface, which really isn't that much of a spoiler of where we're at. Uh, <laughs> there, are, there are many moon stories. We've visited many moons ago. We've visited some moon stories. We've we've killed the moon. We discovered That's there was right. a giant egg, so everything from now on takes place on the egg-based uh, surface from the moon. We've uh, teleported instantly. That's Back and forth from the moon, along with some ice warriors. So that was a good time. On the seeds of death, yes, with with a certain Mister Patrick Troughton. That may become mm-hmm. relevant shortly. Uh, but first, Pete, where have we been so far? Well, we I think we've Recently. just recapped it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole thing. That's that's it. That's pull to open recap. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. That's where we were previously on pull to open, but more recently we were also in World War Two at a weird military base where there were strange creatures, strange. Soldiers pretending to be Nazis, Russians, Ace, and various other weirdos showing their claws at us constantly. Yes, that's right. We were at the Curse of Fenric, thinking about it, opining on it, perhaps disagreeing. opinions on it. That's true. For those that sat through it among Doctor Who fandom, (laughs) there is, tends to be a fan consensus. This is an epic. Uh, Spoiler alert, we tend to disagree. Uh, but we're not yeah, going to get into that again. Thing there, I just realized. Like, if you, yeah, <laughs> if you sit through all the Curse of Fenric, of course you're going to like Curse of Fenric. Anyway, yeah, you you don't want to say your investment was not worth your time and all that. But I mean, who knows? Who knows? I mean, there, there. I understand why some people like it. We don't want to. Why are we uncorking this again? <laughs> like, why? What are we doing? I'm not even halfway through the previously, mm. and we're already Fresh, stirring up tasty. controversy. 
Curse of Fenric first thing in the morning. God, just hit that randomizer. And of course, we do at the end of every episode and after the Curse of Fenric, we were taken to the French Revolution where everyone got to play dress up despite it being black and white. Barbara got some epic moments. Susan did not. And Ian got <laughs> clobbered over the head yet again. Yes, of course, it was the reign of terror. Yes, with a, with a lot of Frenchness in it, which again may be some foreshadowing for where we are today. <laughs> wow. All right. I didn't. Re- I didn't even have these connections. I think we're doing why the randomizer took us here early, but before it took us here, it took us to an interesting place. It was not in the realm of reality. In fact, it was a dream world, mm. a place where dreams and perhaps really good mares were happening with uh, a, a TARDIS crew and knew who. It was actually the Matt Smith episode. Amy's choice, and there was a lot of choosing uh, among all of us. And we had a guest on that podcast that was Damla from Come Along Pond Podcast. I couldn't think of a more apt podcast to have right. guested on that episode. Yes, uh, and we were a TARDIS trio then, and, and TARDIS trio is something of a theme. Hmm. And, uh, yes, the, the, we moved up to a TARDIS quartet. That's right. We got an upgrade, so to speak. <laughs> we have come back to the Trouton era. Uh, mainly missing Trout and Era, which of course means we are in season four, serial six, the Moon Base. Ah, <sighs> yes, and and what a base on the Moon that definitely was that we just sat through. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> what? we're going to get into it. I feel responsible. I did ask for more dreams after Amy's choice, and. It's true, you did. There's definitely, you know, there's the association between the moon and dreams, dream world. There's, uh, there may be a dream of a piper coming up uh, with (laughs) one Jamie McCrimmon. Um, Or a pipe of a dreamer, we're not really sure. But yes, (laughs) there was a lot going on. There was a moon base. It was not Lanzarote, I will point out. Mm. But honestly, not too bad. I'll just throw that out there right now. That's well, early, early look at how things were on the moon. And speaking of looking, hey folks, I'm glad and grateful for everyone who is looking at us right now here on YouTube. Hi everyone, what's happening? And if you are on YouTube, there is an opportunity in front of you, dear watcher. You can also become a true companion of this podcast, something we would be eternally grateful for. And you can do that by pledging your support by uh, subscribing to be a member. It's actually joining a membership. You can subscribe. Anyone can yep. subscribe. That's free. Subscription is a freebie. That's but right. being a member and a true companion is something special. And not only do you get that great feeling that goes along with supporting content that you love, you also get the podcast a day early. That's right. You'll get it Fridays, not Saturdays. And maybe even earlier in the week, depending on my schedule. But at least by Friday, <laughs> you will get it. So the Viscounts we get. But yeah, yes. check check that out. Well, yeah, the Viscount. Why don't you tell people about that level, Chris? <laughs> well, uh, you could actually pop up like Damla did last week for Amy's Choice or Last Story. Uh, and uh, join us. Join us right here. If you're a big cyber fan, you might want to pop in and join us. We got we got a lot of cyber stuff going on. We haven't said one word about cyber or anything, but you could join us and talk about that or talk about whatever we're talking about in our random adventure if you're at the Viscount level. Uh, you get to be a guest on the podcast. You get to really support what we're doing here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I do feel like we've 
we've trapped ourselves on this this random adventure with uh, the, the halfway mark somewhere in sight, vaguely somewhere in the future. So so come along <laughs> yeah, and join us. Before I start scratching off the number of weeks into the wall here, come along and join us and uh, relieve the an- agony and uh, contribute to the podcast. Wow, we're gonna bu- to- someone's got to bust you out of Stormcage prison before the <laughs> podcast is over. It seriously does feel like that. Yes, please contribute at a Viscount level, and you can bust me out of Stormcage. Uh, and we can talk about uh, what I was going to talk about before was to talk about a, a long disquisition about the Tenth Planet, which we've also been to on a random adventure and how that might relate to the moon base mm. um, so let's let's do that for several minutes let's not do anything based on emoji hold on i'm hearing something now Uh-oh. oh no it's no it's the emoji challenge no. that's what we're doing now yes you must face it just like you must face conversion ultimately <laughs> as we all do but Right now, we're converting you into someone who can interpret emojis and tell us which Doctor Who story title they correspond to. So I am jumping tracks a little bit here. So our uh, superfan Joe rep gave us a bunch of uh, emojis a while back, and we've gone through three out of four of them. And the fourth one, which might be even tougher than the third one, which was a bit of a brain teaser last time. We're going to jump tracks, and maybe this is a little bit easier for you, because we've actually got a recent review on Apple, and a new fan who goes by the handle a Mary Berry gave us a nice review, Mm -hmm. and they attached some emojis to it. And I'm going to do one of these, because this one, I must say, is pretty clever. Okay, so you just switched from an easy one, which was going to give me a nice, lovely, easy emoji challenge, to you jump tracks to the hard one. No, no, no. I went from the super hard one to the maybe really hard one. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> Aren't they all hard? You missed Curse of the Black Spot. Clever. Oh, oh I Clever. see what you did there. Yes. Okay. All right, bring it on. That's Cyberman sarcasm. Cyber here it is. Ready. All right, here we go. We're getting going. It is four emojis. First emoji. Lion. Second emoji. A blue dot. Third emoji. A yawning face. And fourth emoji. A door. I'm going to paste this in the chat for you. Oh, if if only the the widow and the wardrobe uh, had also had a lion in it this this would be an easy one but what the heck is the lion is it, mm. is it perhaps new earth no, and then new earth is going to sleep I, I, any cat based emoji i'm like going to go straight to one of the new 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 earth stories um yeah no we wow know. i'm I'm going to need a hint so, on this one because that's all right. So stirring anything. I don't want to give it away too much, but mm. I would say zeroing in on the blue dot is probably a good idea. <laughs> and starting there. Okay. So I'm see. I I see blue dot. I think pale blue dot. I think Carl Sagan. I think Earth. But <laughs> this is probably not where we're going here. This is probably not a well, planet. The story we're about to talk about is a little more linear. So think linear. Think more obvious with that blue dot. 
blue dots, blue. You made because you made a lot of connections. I, there's no, there's very, there's actually no connections you need to make. Is it the wild blue yonder? It's wild blue yonder. <laughs> I knew the that would kind of wild. Okay. I was trying to not give it away by narrowing it to like new or doctor oh, no. or what have you. But Your blue would door. like how many how many titles have blue in the title? Yawn door. Oh my god! I just think the <laughs> levels of dad joke in this emoji are just reaching critical levels. I'm currently being f- infected with dad joke radiation. Um, just staring at that. Oh my goodness! Good I job. think it's genius. Just it- genius. Thank you, a Mary Berry, for this emoji. We'll do your other one in a coming episode. Yes, there's another one, Chris, coming oh up here. And good job on getting that from only one hint. <laughs> and I, I guess what? it's sort of a two-part hint, because I also told you not to make too many connections. But I, Yeah, so you, you should have told me to just put my pun pun brain, set my pun brain to stun. <laughs> um, oh, God. I, you know what? Set I, your pun brain for, to groan. <laughs> extreme groan. I Someone got me a few weeks ago with the giggle. And I just that this is also proof. I'm just not slotting the, the specials into my yeah. You're not when it comes to story titles, but, but yes. they're there. They're in the codex now. We could go to them. In fact, that bottom of the codex is getting thicker by the week almost. Well, once once we hit May, it's going to get big chunk down there. But anyway, That's thank right. you very much, Mary Berry. Thank you for submitting those as a review. That is the absolute best way to submit a humoji. All of these are fan submitted. And all of them go directly to our codex where you also get credit. Mm. So you will live forever in Doctor Who canon as the author of Ahumoji. And one of the only things I'm sure that will survive the internet apocalypse before everything goes analog before 2070. So Yeah, that's right. That's right. When when uh, when our weather is controlled, but but you know um by real to real tape. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, something else that may survive, uh, or that may have actually closed by then, uh, are our polls that we run on every story that we do. Uh, That's right, in the poll to open feature, and if you're listening on Spotify, you'll see it at the bottom of the screen right now. Pull up from the bottom, there's a poll, you can vote on the Moonbase right now if you've come here, you Moonbase fans, just itching (laughs) to to give some cyber love to the Moonbase, but... Uh, what we're going to talk about is a previous rating uh, from Lorraine de Terra, um, hmm. which we covered two stories ago. We have some results. And uh, Pete, you, yeah. you voted the Reign of Terror Le Dalek. Uh, I said it was a citizen hater. And those, those are the two uh, results that placed, but you won. Yeah, je m'appelle the supreme. Daleks are supreme. Here <laughs> on the, the reign of terror. Of this reign of terror. You you just ran roughshod over Citizen Hater. That's right. Yep. It's at 60% to the roughly 40% haters. So, yeah. Good stuff. They, the Daleks like the exterminating. I hear a lot of that was going on during mm, the French Revolution. So, uh, yeah, it all makes sense. Like I say, good fun tour of that era got to see the original TARDIS crew doing their thing and Barbara has some really nice moments so yeah it all ended up something pretty cool alright all right. well speaking of uh, old TARDIS crews guess it's time <laughs> to talk about the TARDIS crew that we've got going on here the very unusual 
uh, uh, marriage of uh, Ben and Polly and Jamie, and I, I, I yeah, hadn't really maybe. hadn't really thought of them overlapping in the TARDIS, right? Because uh, right, because it, it's not doesn't happen for long. It doesn't happen for long, and so many of those episodes have been lost. And mm. now that they're starting to be recreated with animations, we can kind of get more of a sense of that time. Because really, okay. I remember when this go went out on PBS and the Trouton, you get to the Trouton era, it skips over so much. Mm-hmm. You just jump right from the, I forget what it is, the War Machines or something, to the uh not even two of the cybermen i think it might even be the mind robber i think you might jump wow. right to zoe or something so because wow. so many of those episodes were missing for the longest time some have been recovered some have been animated i sort of erroneously said last time i thought this was a recovered episode it was actually a reconstructed one but same right. same difference i think i might have been thinking of two of the cybermen which was missing for the longest time um when i was a kid but anyway we're going to get to mm-hmm. all of it but we can't get to it until we pass a certain marker yeah, and that marker is we talk about how we watched it, right? That's because it's, we should say, uh, I'm, I'm just I'm scrambling here for time, but we should say, if you want to watch the moon base, you can't watch it on Tubi, right? Um, right, yeah, because they have the standard, there. well, I mean, I mean you, here's what you're doing. You're stoking me. Yes. <laughs> stoking your flames of like animated plus. Because and, and, the usual rotation that they license out to various streaming services and, and channels does not include hybrid stories, mm. which is some of the episodes still exist and some of them are animated. I guess they figure for people to, the people just won't figure it out. <laughs> it's just too weird. I think it's nuts because it's more content. Like why not have them yeah. spend content and, and if they get a little confused, go ahead and let them Google it or put a little disclaimer on, like put everything in the, the rotation that, that exists. Mm. It, it's a no-brainer to me. So, so it's not on BritBox, is that right? Nope. I, I, okay. Not on BritBox. I found it on the Internet Archive. I found vo- both versions available to download for oh, free interesting. on the Internet Archive. Uh, both the Telesnap version and the uh, the animated version. Oh, okay, uh, that's cool. There. And you and you watched both because you it was so riveting, and you just wanted to see it again and again. So <laughs> it's funny, funny. Funnily enough, this is one of the stories I've owned on DVD for a long time. Mm. And as I was queuing it up, I do remember I did watch it once when it first came, when I first got it, which was probably when it first came out. And I forget when that was. That that was either in the 2000s or early 2010s. Uh, but I haven't seen it since. So it was, it was really fun to revisit with my kids. All right. Yeah. So that's well, it. We're done there. And now we got to go to it, which is, no, and what is it? God, it is TLDW. Too Long Didn't Watch, Too Long Doctor Who, where one of us summarizes the entire story in record time. That someone this time is the unconverted Chris Taylor. Oh, and we allocate 30 seconds to every single classic Who episode. And that means you have a full two minutes to summarize the moon beast. Moon beast. The moon beast. The moon, <laughs> the moon beast. Wow. <laughs> Early ancestor of the star beast. Uh, yeah. I didn't realize there was any beep the meep in the Trenton era, but sure, I'll talk about that story. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Man, uh, there's technically a moon beast in this. It's in every right. shot of the moon. We just don't know it's a beast yet. But <laughs> yeah, no, this is the moon okay. base. The moon base is what we're talking about. And are you ready to summarize it, sir? Hang on. I'm going to take my last sip of coffee uh, with sugar in and... Oh, yeah. 
no. Well, then no, we'll get a headset on you, and you'll be you'll yeah. be good to go. I, I did think of wearing one to just get no. cyber converted rather than do TLDW, but no. Okay, I guess I guess we're here. I guess I, I guess we got to do this. Um, I can't right. throw a poly cocktail in the face. Well, then of let's it. do it. Let's do it right now for right. with the official pull to open summary of the Moon Base in five, four, three, two, one, go. The Doctor Ben, Polly, and Jamie have uh, landed on the Moon because they were they were supposed to go to Mars, but the Doctor messed things up and the TARDIS were shaking. But now they're on the Moon and they get in spacesuits and they find that there's a base there. And the Doctor think it's what Freddy Fifty because they've got a Gravitron up there and it it uh, controls all of Earth's weather. Uh, but what's weird? Weird things going on. That there's a Doctor at the base and he's come down with some space disease, and. Uh, and uh, more and more people are coming down with it. The, uh, this international crew, thirty and, seconds. Uh, suspicion falls on the TARDIS team, but it's actually the Cybermen. Polly sees a Cyberman, and they're they're starting to take off members of the of the crew who have the disease. And uh, but nobody believes Polly because uh, she's a girl. And Jamie is uh, knocked out because he jumped in a crater, and he's seeing a, a ghost Piper as the the Cybermen. Uh, and eventually, they they sort of reveal themselves under under the, the covers in the, the uh, infirmary and. Um, and then they, they, they're trying to just seize the Gravitron and just destroy Earth. Uh, One minute. Revenge, just to get rid of all the humans. Um, and so they, they've got these other ships that land and cyber people pour out of them. Uh, and uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, distrust between the Doctor and one, one of them. Uh, one of the base members gets cyber. They're, they're cyber controlled, not cyber converted. These these base people and uh, and uh, the doctor. Well, actually, Polly figures out how to defeat them by putting uh, acetone, a, a nail thinner, uh, in in a bomb and called a Polly cocktail. And so they they fight back the Cybermen. The Cybermen can't actually shoot at the dome, uh, and it goes off in space. And uh, and they they go off into space as well. They they are. Uh, uh, drawn up at the end I, I can't remember exactly how it happens now uh, but the, the Doctor, Ben, Polly and Jamie get away from from the Gravicon drunk control uh, at the end before they can thank them and while they have to put the world's weather back to And time! Not bad, not bad that's a summary of the moon base that was under two minutes How did Great I job. to mention the coffee and the Didn't mention the coffee, the coffee. Did I mention the coffee? Did I mention the sugar? The Cybermen poisoning the sugar? Uh, maybe. Oh, I think you might have mentioned the, the coffee at some point because it's hard to avoid because they keep bringing out coffee. Yes. <laughs> and Polly keeps bringing out coffee. And and perhaps we should go straight there. To should we go like, straight there? This has been mentioned on kind of both sides. Like there's some fans who are like, oh, Polly's serving coffee. You know, it's a bit it's a bit sexist. And then there are other fans who are all like, well, actually, Polly saves the day. She yeah. So, destroys the Cybermen. Well, this is the thing. I mean, two things can be true at once. So, yes, there are some moments where she is probably very unfairly dismissed or told to make coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, one, you don't want to over-index on it because the same thing does happen to Ben. Ben is told to clean up coffee cups and is basically on galley duty. And that's naturally what you would do if you're not a expert at whatever the Gravitron does or a scientist or can help in some other way. So you're going to just be an extra pair of hands. That's yeah. fair enough. I think the ben, moment ben that... Called, by the way, Ben is called good boy for, for clearing coffee. <laughs> so, He's a know, very good boy. He, you know, I wanted to scratch him behind his ears. He's such a good boy. Good little <laughs> sailor. But 
Polly probably it happens one too many times to Polly. And the sort of worst moment is when the doctor kind of does it. <laughs> like he basically yes, just he tells says, her to go make coffee because she starts why, questioning his credentials. <laughs> I have the line right here. Why not make some coffee to keep them all happy while I think of something? Now, you can say that that's, you know, this is part of my scheme. Like, you know, be, be helpful here. Be, be my Sue doctor, as it were. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's sort of a, a stalling tactic. Keep them at bay because they're starting to get suspicious but ultimately i think this is a pretty good episode for polly and i think we can mm. get into that in a, in a little bit but uh yeah, you know well, i, I want to talk how to make a polly cocktail which <laughs> is something that this episode would not be screened today with the very specific nature of the ingredients well it's the, funny the there's a doctor who and i'm sure it's not the only one but there's doctor who themed bars and doctor who themed menus and, and restaurants that come out and I, I don't think i've ever seen one serve a poly cocktail because i don't know how popular it would be if you actually knew what it was because it's you'd be drinking nail polish remember it does include but, she does specifically say that alcohol is in it though so i think that is yeah. you know very definitely. So he's kind of getting the Cyberman drunk a little bit. I see. That's right. There's also benzene in there. Sorry, I'm, I'm going straight to the. Uh, to make <laughs> you really want to make one of these, right? We got we got to get you in a lab with some of these steaming uh, beakers and, and tubes. That's right. But, we don't have much of a history corner this week, but we do have cocktail corner. Yeah, a bit of a future history corner though, because it's kind of a, it's, it's one of the easiest stories to place because they actually say the year. But anyway, yeah. anyway, I want I want to sort of start sort of broadly about the moon base, yeah. and observe that this is probably even for the time one of the most linear episodes of doctor who there's ever that's ever been made it's very straightforward there are no real twists in it i mean yes there's kind of plot that happens and the cybermen take control and then they're fought against and stuff happens with the ship and the gravitron but nothing, it's all kind of by the numbers and it's all very expected. Now, I, I want to be clear about this. Being linear and doing the formula, so to speak, doesn't necessarily make it bad, yeah. I think. But I think it is something that your your opportunities to be good lie in the execution of all those sort of things I was I, I, I mentioned yeah. in terms of what yeah. it, it does and how it looks. And I do think it actually succeeds on a lot of this. So, but it is, it is sort of the, mo one of the most straightforward stories in its progression. It's obviously based under siege. It's one of the is, was first the ones. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. It, exactly. Although the 10th planet was also based under siege. Yeah. So it's one of these things that the Cybermen plus base under siege, if mm. you look at the canvas of Dr. Who, like that just really works for some reason because the Cybermen are this threat that they're totally different from the Daleks. And I think, and, and other races, right? They're like, I think you even observed this once in terms of what's scary about them. They're sort of this unrelenting force, whether they're upgrading you or they're coming at something like a base and they just absolutely will not stop. Hmm. And you can't piss them off. They're just going to keep coming no matter what, because they're, they're emotionless. They're, they're this force that is akin to, uh, either nature or even like I, I, sometimes you, they they evoke similar feelings that zombie hordes do, yes, right? Because yeah. there's just so many of them, and you can become one of them. So it's it's interesting uh, they, that they do it, not possess it, feelings, as they say in this. They they call it a weakness. We are fortunate we do not possess feelings. They say only only stupid Earth brains like yours would have been fooled by 
Our interest. Yeah, they, they yeah. say they don't have feelings and they start insulting everyone. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and then they start calling themselves clever. So it's a it's a little weird. You know, they they do seem to care a little bit more than they claim. Um but yeah, this is this is uh we, we should definitely talk about the background of this. So this was commissioned kind of in a hurry because mm. the Tenth Planet was such a hit, because the Cybermen were such a hit. And yeah. Dr. Dr. Kit Peddler uh, peddled a second script that was basically the first script with some uh, changes. Uh, huh. And, you know, and, and they just brought the Cyberman uh, men back it's kind of really fast, which you wouldn't necessarily know looking at this and seeing how different the Cybermen are compared to the 10th planet. Right. And we could, we could talk about that right away, which is yeah, to yeah. say the Cybermen look very different. And, it's interesting. I've obviously talked about this a few times about why they look different and why the show doesn't really refer to it until the new series that they are. There's a reason for that. And you don't even really get it until very late in the series until like the 12th doctor. But the, the sort of assumption that they're upgrading is a good one. And I think in this episode, there are hints that, maybe the characters are seeing this so it's because the whole thing is that the Cybermen look different every time mm. they're portrayed, almost every time they're portrayed in the original series in the classic series, but no one ever comments on it. No one ever says, why do they look different? Why? What? That's weird. But there are hints of it here because Polly, even though she recognizes the shape mm-hmm. of the Cyberman because she's seen them before, she seems a little unsure. She's like, well, it looked like the Cyberman, but it clearly, like, she doesn't say this, but it clearly didn't look like the Cyberman she saw on the 10th planet. So she's, and it was only for a split second. So she's kind of dismissed. And unfortunately, she doesn't do herself a lot of favors by standing up for herself and what she saw. And Hobson, who was, we can get it to him in a bit, but (laughs) he makes some weird decisions. Yes. Yeah. Wonder if he's supposed to be an Oppenheimer figure, and that's why they call him Hobby because everyone called Oppenheimer Oppie. Um, yeah, maybe. But just back to the final. Uh, anyway, sorry. The point about the Cybermen. I I like the the redesign here. I think it really works. But it's not just the look of it, and it's a good design. I think it suits the environment and what they are because they are very believably like, oh, these are sort of spacefaring Cybermen. Yeah. So if you want, like in other words, there's robust material for headcanon here even for 1967 which is when this was broadcast and it it matches the scene so you see these creatures that are very believably walking around the moon environment plus those big bulky refrigerators that the old cybermen were carrying around it's just impractical you need something a little sleeker like they had to shrink those chest units as much as they're like a good part of the cybermen they you you need something to just move them around if only they shrunk them further and known to to cover them in metal and not plastic, they wouldn't have fallen for Polly's right. little, uh, little trick there with the design flaw. Plastic dissolving. But yeah, the Cybermen are definitely the part of the moon base that has aged well. I've got to say, if you're if you're listening to this and perhaps you're more of a new who bent and you you're you know, the classic series kind of, you know, weird and old to you in a lot of ways. There are parts of the moon base that are not necessarily going to hold up for you. Uh, like, there's a lot of padding with the base crew. Basically. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I, it's like, if you watch this at night before bed, it will uh-huh. put you to bed, some of those scenes where they're really like, are you really going to do some plotting engineering with the consoles and dialogue for five minutes straight? 
Really? You're doing this? Without... A lot of what we've talked about earlier of uh, aggressively pushing buttons at each other. And and in this case, it's a lot of Europeans aggressively mm. pushing buttons at each other. It's a very, uh, there's a lot of French, there are two French people in the contingent. Which kind of, it's sort of weird that we would immediately imagine a, a joint, uh, you know, Anglo-French moon base with maybe a few other nationalities in there. With with the British ruling over the French, uh, but yeah. yes, Doctor Kit Pedlow, uh, you know, made made some. He had to write this in a hurry, right? Because they yeah. they they ended up screening it in a hurry, like it wasn't that long after the Tenth Planet. So it's not surprising. It's basically the same, the same script. Um, but he he gets to a certain point where he realizes that two of his French people are both called his two French people. Their first name is both the Jules. <laughs> so, <laughs> so one of them becomes uh it, one of them gets the first name roger uh benoit i think was his last name and, Ro- but not it's roger too late. not roger <laughs> uh well i don't even know how he pronounces his name i'm sure that the british base commander hobson would uh, deliberately mispronounce it anyway um he it's too late for the costume because the costume already has <laughs> the first <laughs> initial that he's not supposed to have uh, the J, oh. which is why he wears the neckerchief. He wears this very French oh, neckerchief right. to cover up the J, and it's that's just, why. That's why, and it's such a comedy of errors that I'm, I'm going to renew my call for the BBC to read, do more episodes of an adventure in space and time, uh, hmm. because the behind-the-scenes story is often funnier. And you could even make it a sitcom. Like this could be just a half-hour episode of of how they messed up on the moon base. Oh, uh, that is so funny! How fast they had to make it! My goodness. Well, this points is... to Kit Pedler for trying to do a version of what I think Gene Roddenberry did better in Star Trek, which is to say, we have a vision of the future where people are cooperating and more nations of the world are represented. Now, that said, yeah. they're all kind of white European dudes. So there's only so much you can do, uh, probably in in at the BBC in 1967. But at least they tried. We should have so, mentioned that there is unfortunately a black member of the crew as the first one killed. Blink and you miss him, right? Yeah, like yeah, he's yeah. there. It's like, oh yeah, there's a black mm. dude here. Oh no, there he goes. <laughs> Hasn't aged well, as I say. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's it's also interesting because, of course, another one of the errors is that the kid peddler didn't didn't originally include Jamie. He didn't know that Jamie was right. going to be. A companion. So Jamie, first of all, is does that classic Who thing of like, let's just uh, keep him out of the plot for two episodes. Yeah, <laughs> it almost seems. Injury. It almost seems like Kit Peddler was mad that he had to include him and just said, "Okay, screw yeah. this. I'm just going to have him be unconscious." And Fraser Hines, I, I read, I saw the making of of this, and he was like, "Hey, man, it was I was new to the show, and I got paid to be like on a bed for most of it, so <laughs> it's all good." But I got to say, they're you know, to talk about Jamie a little bit, like it's not a horrible episode for him either, apart from he's not really in it much, but he does that, that Phantom Piper stuff. I don't know why. Maybe it's because we were talking about dreams. It's memorable for some reason uh, because you're really feeling for him. And there's this, you know, tension they're building up with the Cybermen in the base. And are they real or aren't they? And the only people seeing them are someone with a head injury and someone who caught a glimpse of them and isn't really sure about it. So, so it kind of believably sells that like, we're not going to scramble the wagons because we're, we don't have credible information that this is even happening, which you kind of have right. to do. I get it. You know, it's, 
it's TV. They really still she'll, still should, but there's, they have to sell it, and they sell it pretty well. But for Jamie, one of the better parts that I don't remember it, when I saw this probably the first time, and I really like this time, was the little tension there between him and Ben because mm. Polly is taking care of him and has this very sort of motherly nursing instinct to Jamie and wants to mop his brow and is he okay and Uh constantly checking on him and Ben has to go off and clear up coffee cups and do what the doctor says and then it comes to a head in episode three and it even comes through in the animation where they're both you know hey hey Jamie you know stop 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 spending so much time with my bird or you know you'll see Ben saying that and Jamie wants to clobber him so it's like wow there was actually a decent a decent sort of character moment here with the three of them with a little romantic tension. It really was. And that's, that's one of the, so yeah, so episodes one and episodes three are, are the, the last and now right. ones. And you kind of, I kind of really want to see episode three for that. Episode three has got so many great moments. It's kind of going straight to the top of my, uh, you know, want to find missing episodes list. Uh, yeah. And that is one of the moments. And it's especially interesting coming straight here from Amy's choice, right? That, that there is, there's the jealousy over, over the female companion there, the, the, uh, the locking horns. And that, mm-hmm. that's, that's exactly what happens here between uh, Ben and, and Jamie. And I, I never knew. Um, yeah. It's, it's too bad. That yeah. This is as far as they go with it, as far as I understand. Now I, I haven't seen the rest of the season. This, the water menace, underwater menace precedes this, mm-hmm. the macro terror, uh, has been has been animated, and I haven't seen it. And there's others, uh, faceless ones too. Um, but you know that, like you, you kind of long for a new Who episode about this, where it all sort of comes out, and uh, maybe I don't you know the predi- the predictable result. Obviously, is like you know Ben and Polly eventually ending up together. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. a thing in novels or whatever, but they're very much like the new Ian and Barbara, just younger. So when did, when maybe that happens. When did Ben and Polly exit? I, I Faceless ones because I believe they discover it's actually their native time. It's like right around when they left with the Hartnell Doctor, the date that they ended up at. So because it's like contemporary. The Hartnell Doctor in, in 66, right? Yeah, it was uh, the War Machines. Yeah, so this is being screened in 67. And it's interesting that they still have Ben say talking about 1966. We, we right? Know into february 67 well they paying paying more attention to continuity than you might think you yeah. know like again you know the bad they well, classic series gets a bad rap on some of this stuff but it's actually not bad uh you know i think it only really gets bad when you go across production teams that's when it gets insane because people have different visions different memories crew entire crews get switched out and then the script editor whose responsibility is to sort of figure out this stuff uh, changes too, right? So yeah. you that's sort of where it gets bad. But like here, you know, they're actually it's it's they're doing a little arc, and I I've got more of an appreciation now for the season four arc that they had going on with Ben, Polly, and this Tardis team. Not bad. Yeah, absolutely. And and the, this is the first returning monster other than the Daleks, right? In terms of of the yes, and so it does. Yes. It establishes that you do have this continuity. That you have these companions who recognize them. And it's also interesting because, of course, the, the 10th planet was was Hartnell Light, shall we say. So it's nice to get the base under siege slash Cybermen formula with a doctor who is going to play it to the hilt, as Patrick mm. Grant does here. And he really is, you got to say, far and away, the best thing about the moon base. I'll, pro- I, I'll, I'll give you maybe props for, you know, the, the Daft Punk-like Cybermen voice 
Uh, they they do uh, kind of interestingly uh, pronounce things uh, like this. Well, I like Italian Cybermen. I like the choice they made with the voice. So they deliberately made it different from the 10th planet where mm. they were sing-songy and a little bit weird. That's creepy. I'd still like the 10th planet voice. This is creepy yeah. in a different way because it is a true monotone really. And there's no inflection, which is great. But mm-hmm. the problem is they really overdid it on the modulator and they are hard to understand sometimes. I really had to rewind. Like this is where honestly I, I should have w- w- done what you do and watch with subtitles because I kind of was <laughs> rewinding here and they're like, wait a minute, what, what did he say? I, so this one wasn't available on subtitles. So I actually did watch oh. with the transcript to hand. <laughs> right, right. I guess you might have to. Yeah, but yeah. There, there is speaking of the sort of the behind the scenes haplessness, the the guy doing the voice they gave him this thing, which is like a a, a pallet, like a, a, an electric pallet that you get for some kind of surgery. And he had to fit it in his mouth, but it had this wow. massive amount. Peter Hawkins. That Peter Hawkins. Yeah, that's the yeah. guy. And he actually got headaches from it. And he had this vibrating pallet in his Ooh. mouth. That, that he used to make those sounds. That must have been some of the poor dialogue, the ones that are harder to understand, must have been late in the day. That's what I yes. have to think. And they so, actually had to cut one scene of poor dialogue, which would have mentioned Mondas and Telos and would have gotten into that whole debate and made it much more canon. Interesting. Oh, I yes. wonder if that's in the novel. So it's funny. I have the novel. I should have brought it. It's actually in the other room. But it's actually called Doctor Who and the Cybermen. Yeah. And funnily enough, it's written by Jerry Davis. So Kit Peddler, Jerry Davis, sort of often, you know, the kind of the one-two punch of the Cybermen right, they, kind they, of co-creators. But it was... Yeah, the, it was In the 10th planet, yeah. Yeah, it, it was really more Kit Peddler, I think, that had the concept. But... Um, they they open the novel like it's kind of it's kind of incorrect in in terms of canon because they talk about Telos being the home planet as mm. in this prologue that you don't get in the TV serial. So, but that's interesting that they've mentioned Telos for the first yeah, time, I, which I of course that, comes at the beginning of season five and two minutes. Yes, the scene that they cut would have said specifically that Mondas was their home planet and Telos was their ride, uh, or the other mm. way around. I can't. Remember. <laughs> Mm. But this this has been a controversy ever since, right? We've we've touched on this before. Well, and I think it's it has been, but it's also more or less been resolved with the clearer statement in the uh, Doctor Falls. I don't want to get too much on a Cyberman tangent that the Cybermen aren't really a race per se, as a thing that emerges when humanity is has too much technology too quick. So that's that's a cool idea. I really like that new take on the Cybermen that they just kind of emerge. There's a chance you can, they can emerge when technology gets to a certain point, depending on conditions, which explains a lot, you know, about the various types, which planets they're actually from. They're kind of from them all mm-hmm. uh, because they're really just this this technological thing that can happen. I like that. Anyway, which I don't want to get too far into it. We get a new who, right? Is that the Cybermen are just like, you can't get too hung up on where they're from because they can happen yeah. anywhere in any parallel universe at any it's, time. It's, it's one of the smartest get it a jail free cards I think the yeah. show's done is is that concept. But at this point in the show, for sure, it's it, they're starting to figure it out because they blow up the home planet in the first episode with them. So they have to keep some reason, some base for them to keep them in in the series. But I think even before they did the New Who redefinition, it became an interesting 
thing about the Cybermen that you kind of almost had some sympathy for them. They were kind of these refugees and fugitives that were now not just wanting to conquer, but part of that was wanting to sort of reestablish uh, themselves and uh, with a home and give themselves like some kind of backing for that. And obviously they're evil and <laughs> we can't really negotiate with that, but it is, it does give them a little bit more of a desperate angle. And I think most of the time when the Cybermen work, it is these small groups, these base under sieges, these things where they're just trying to get a foothold, man. And it's where they can spread out mm. from. It's pretty cool. And speaking of foothold, how about those boots? Yeah, the boots. Oh my <laughs> God. My kids were just, they're, they're lingering shots on the march as they're walking across the moon again. I think it's good. I really like it. But the thing is, they're so clearly boots, like human boots. With that, and everything. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems like they took this to to heart, I guess, so to speak, and said, like, okay, they fixed the boots later. You can see on my poster, this is actually a tomb, Cybermen, but the boots are different. You know, <laughs> they gave the moon boots, essentially, after this one. Because yeah. even though it's cool march and the music's great and all that stuff, it's like, you can't help but notice these. they just got these at Macy's or wherever, I guess, you know, Herod's know. or what. And the, the cliffhanger at the end of episode two relies on the boots. You know, like we see right. the boots under the sheet in the infirmary. And <laughs> like why, why zero in on the weakest part of the costume? <laughs> yeah. Part of the costume, a plot point. I mean, again, you can, you can head candidate in a sense because maybe they, these are, they know they're marching across the moon surface. It's dusty. They need more stability. So, and they could, they could really put anything they want on there. Why not? Why not just use some human like boots, but it is a bit silly. And it's, it's weird, especially because the doctor has just taken off uh, one of the French dudes boots. Yeah. What's with this obsession with boots in this episode? It's a little nuts. (laughs) So one more thing, just walking. That's all I know. Talk about one more thing about the Cyberman design. The three fingers, I think is a mistake. I think the Mm. three fingers was done certainly to make them more sort of monstrous, right? That they're like, Ooh, wow. They're a little bit alien, but that's, that kind of misses the point of the Cyberman a little bit because the Cybermen are scary, not because they're monsters. It's because they're us. They're Mm. us and they're upgraded and having them be a eerie, dark pantomime reflection of a human form is what makes them creepy. So I'm glad they only did this for a few episodes. They do it again, obviously in tomb, I believe in the wheel in space too. But then by the time of the invasion, they bring them back to the Mm. five digits. And I think they've mostly done that since. So, you know, good yeah. call on restoring the... the definitely the one thing you get from the moon base is that claws were a lot scarier in 1966. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, because uh, it ends yeah. with one. Ends with the Macra Terra. And can we just briefly talk about the fact that it ends with the Doctor looking into his own future? Yeah, the time the, scanner, which we've never heard of scanner. since. Yes. I Yeah, it's almost a trial of the Time Lord with Mel moment here that I had watching that. I was like, what? And especially it's interesting coming from the chase so recently, right? Where we had something similar to that. The time. Yeah, that looked in the past, but any time in the past. So that was this time space visualizer, right? Yeah. So the doctor suddenly announcing that he also casually has a screen built into the TARDIS that looks into the future. That just, that seems so wrong. And then what what do we see on a a claw? Of course, there's a claw in that doctor's future. <laughs> Obviously, that was a scary ending. I guess the giant macro terror claw. 
Yeah, and I haven't seen the Macro Terror. I think I read the novel eons ago, so I don't even know what that means. Does that mean when right when they walk out, there's claws? I think it isn't, but it is. It is a little weird that we're going to check the future, and it's it's like this macro zoom on something. You know, it's like, well, what, we're not even seeing the whole thing. What are you doing, Time Scanner? <laughs> and that's probably why I just threw it out after this episode. It's just kind of useless. Oh my goodness! Yeah, we're, we're going to have to head cannon our way out of the out of the time scanner. Um, but, but yeah, again, I want to talk a little bit more about the production really quick because it's yeah. pretty clear for 1967 Doctor Who. This is kind of nice and big budget because there is a big set with mm. the Gravitron room and a not too small set in the sick bay. There's a lot of sets and there's a lot of small sets, right? There's even the Cybermen's ship. There's uh, the galley. Uh, and there's there's just a lot of they had to work with here. Plus the Cybermen themselves, we already talked about the design, but they had eleven of them. They had eleven suits, and you could see Terry Nation just like, hey, wait a minute, like how come I only get like four or five Daleks? Like, come on! And obviously, it takes yeah. more to build a Dalek, but it is like they really went all out here and and spent a ton of money. And even the, the Gravitron itself. I don't think you ever fully get to see it other than sort of the miniature shots, but still like conceptually, it's really cool. And even the bits you see in the set are kind of like, you definitely get a sense of its size and like, Oh wow. Yeah. This is like a big observatory, like telescope place with this big rotating thing. Like you get it. It's like, Oh, that's, that's, pretty cool yeah you i like do, that you do get a sense of scale speaking of mr nation uh we should mention that one of the reasons why why the cybermen were pushed so quickly is because terry nation was was heading to america at this point right he was trying to right. sell sell the daleks so they needed a a backup daleks if he if he if terry nation wouldn't let doctor who use them again yeah needed uh, a new monster they needed a new monster so you know cybermen came at just long uh, at just the right time um but yeah but this is you know, this became the template moving forward for for much of Troughton. I don't think mm-hmm. we've really gotten down to that. Uh, that that it kind of is the template for the base under siege uh, story. Yes, yes, Teth Planet sort of did the same thing, but this with the linear progression of the story, with the way that the Doctor kind of immediately inserts and ingratiates himself uh, with with the with the base uh, like that, that became a template, and you can definitely see why Russell T. Davies uses psychic paper so much, right? And the base under siege stories <laughs> of New Who, because it just gets you over that whole, how did you get here? Why are you here? Who are you? You know, this is Let's throw them in prison. Yeah. Or not. Yeah, I, I really love, I, 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 as I said, I've never seen the moon base before, but knowing that it's the base under siege template, I love that they are in a base. They talk about it as a base. And then at one point, uh, Hobson says, from, from our perspective, we're under siege. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, she even says it. You said the thing. <laughs> <laughs> say, say the thing, Bart. Uh, we know, yeah. we know where this lands in the Doctor Who story type <laughs> buckets. Yes, a hundred percent. Oh, I wish um, you'd looked at camera at that point. It would have been fabulous. Yeah, it's it's really straightforward. I mean, they even say the year, which yep. I think most near future stories started avoiding probably after this one, and and the because these two very clearly pinpoint like with the 10th planet being 1986 this one being 2070 one yeah. again nice little arcing they're doing with the base personnel know what cybermen are they say every, all kids know the cybermen they died out and it's clearly a reference to the 10th planet um mm. and what with subsequent doctor who you could point to almost any number of episodes that have sort of public invasions of the cybermen um but it's nice little nice little arc bit here so one thing about the, the base under siege model is the base has to be doing something that is 
uh, kind of a bit bit wrong in some ways, or like we come to think of as a bit wrong. Mm. You know, the seeds of death is a classic example. Like we talked about this about how the the transmat just like made Earth lazy, and it was this you yeah. know, stupid log- from a logistical point of view. And here, so the gravitron controls all the weather of Earth. Uh, which is really sort of casually treated. I mean, I, I, I apologize to the people of Florida, and it's not often I say that, uh, because the Gravitron just sort of like casually creates a hurricane that hits Florida, <laughs> and they don't even really, they mention it once, and then it's just like nobody cares about it again. Like, uh, why would you even do that? Yeah. You know, why, why aren't hurricanes just a thing of the past? Now, I guess you could probably argue, okay, well, we need some natural weather patterns just to occur and we're just kind of controlling them and hurricanes on some level are part of the ecosystem. So you need to do them fine. Just don't have them hit Florida. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like just well, don't we, do it. There is one line of dialogue that suggests that what's happened uh, since 2050, when I guess the Gravitron was, was stuck on the moon and it controls everything via the tides, which is weird. They control the entire weather via the tides. I'm not right in if you're a meteorologist, because I'm not sure. If works. <laughs> this, is, this is when we need you, meteorologists, contributed to Viscount Banger level. Is you can jump up between us and well, actually us. Um, but I don't think it's possible to control the entire weather from the tides. But there's also well, and even if you could, is- you would you would think just to harp on that, you think there'd be it wouldn't be immediate. Whatever the effect yeah. is, you would you would yeah. control the tides, and hours later, some weather would be affected. So, so what we hear is that there's been this massive negotiation between all the nations of Earth, so that everyone gets the weather they want, which. I, I really wish they'd taken the opportunity to tell us what, what the British eventually decided they want their weather to be. <laughs> I, I can tell you, knowing the British, we would just, whatever it is, we'd just be like, oh, it's too hot, it's too cold, it's too rainy, it's too... Whatever it is, it would be too much, and we would long for the other thing. So uh, I'm just presuming mm. that in this future Earth, Britain is just like the, the one nation that has all the weather. So we can have, <laughs> keep talking about it. All at once. Um, it was the... <laughs> the wedding of rigor song, you know, fifty years early. <laughs> yes, um, but yeah. So, so that so we get the gravitron in twenty fifty. Looking forward to that. By the way, looking forward to having <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh, only twenty five, twenty six years away. It's coming up. But nice. another thing that's sort of established here is that Doctor isn't as great about history and knowing stuff as he is later portrayed to be. Right. So he hmm. says, "Oh, this must be twenty fifty and and the base people and Hobson scoff at him and they're like oh we've got a rip van winkle here you know it's actually 2070 yeah. dude uh he also doesn't seem to know what happened in 1966 uh because he talks about ben ben mentions 66 and what uh, at one time and then doctor said oh oh was that a bad year or something like that mm. like he doesn't know yeah uh, which, Which is, is kind of cool. Piece of the second Doctor in in the three Doctors not knowing the Beatles, not knowing yeah. I am the Walrus. He just seems to have this <laughs> this kind of gray area. Well, six, six, it seven. is, and it's it's a little bit. I, mean, I think you can even do that some of that today. But at this point in Doctor Who, we don't know that the creators don't know who the Doctor yeah. is, and that's very apparent when they bring up his doctorate or his medical. Yes, degree that was in the this other one, which is another fascinating thing. So the holes in the memory and this makes sense in the t- context of what if the doctor is just a human from the far future? Mm-hmm. You know, so he, so this period, the, all of history, he probably just only has sort of a slapdash, superficial knowledge of, yeah. and knows a couple of the highlights, but doesn't really know it. 
I yeah, think that's pretty cool. In the era where the Doctor could be this sort of Edwardian gentleman from the future, right? Or mm-hmm. you know, like this. There's the aspect that he really likes old timey things, and as you say, the medical degree. Uh, yeah. So he starts to examine the patients in in the infirmary, and Polly says, "Listen, are you really a medical doctor?" Which is kind of like yeah. you can picture the 1967 audience being like on the edge of their seat. Is he going to say <laughs> what kind of doctor he is? And he says, "Yes, I think I was once, Polly. I think I took a degree once in Glasgow, 1888. I think Lister." Now, uh, did you immediately get the reference? Because I didn't. I didn't get the reference, and he seems so unsure. It does sound like a high school kid lying for the first time. Yeah. Like about his homework. Like, I think I did it, and I think I left it on my desk. It's like, okay, sure. The doctor does actually lie in this situation. We're going to have a teeny tiny history corner here. Um, Let's do it. Let's Joseph get into the Lister, <laughs> first Baron Lister. Not sure if he was a friend of Viscount of Banger, um, but but he was, <laughs> was the a friend first of Baron. Dave Lister, related to the last <laughs> human being alive. Yes, I go straight to Red Dwarf as well whenever I hear Lister. Uh, but he uh, he's kind of known as the father of modern surgery. He's kind of the first to introduce um, uh, sterilizers. They used carbolic acid as a sterilizer. Interesting. Uh, in in his surgery in Glasgow. Well, um, obviously, a, a key thing that would you pioneering technology that would eventually lead to people getting replacement limbs. Indeed. So, right? Dr. Adler definitely very interested in that. This is, of course, how he came up with the the, the Cybermen in the first place for the Tenth Planet was was through yeah. the notion of medical history and what if you just replaced everything. Um, but but the Doctor lies because Lister was not in Glasgow in eighteen eighty eight. Oh. He was already in London by then. Ah, teaching down. Maybe the, just misremembering the Royal yeah, the... School there. So, is he misremembering or is he a Lister hipster? <laughs> um, <laughs> I like Lister like, hipster. Oh, yeah. yeah, I I loved Lister's early albums. Uh, well, he, he's them. he's unsure, so he's either lying or he's getting some of the details wrong, and they're probably just being deliberately vague about it so that they can you know, cake over it later, which they sort of eventually did. It is funny though, that he never really mentions his medical degree or medical credentials much at all anymore. He never says he doesn't. Although actually he does, comes pretty close. Sometimes he's like, I'm not a doctor of medicine. I think he said that once or twice. So maybe he's just making all this up. There's a, definitely a strong case to be made. It is a good moment for Polly where she <laughs> says, you know, the, the doctor's examining slides on a microscope and she's like, couldn't possibly have anything to do with, the, with uh, Lister, could it? You know, you did say you took your degree in Glasgow in 1888. It does seem an awful long time from now, 2070 or whatever it is. It is great. So this is the thing. I want to talk about Polly. I think I think ultimately this is a good episode for her for moments like that. She she does stand up to the doctor in, in a sense in that scene, but in the gentlest way. Mm. And it's there's so much respect and admiration for him in her exchange there even though she's just really trying to do her best to help and help the base people and jamie and everyone so i like that bit and also like the whole poly cocktail thing we've already talked about it but it is great that she gets to save the day in a very real way and put this stuff together and get get her name on it so yeah, I think the Polly stuff is good. She she looks great in the spacesuit. They all look great in the spacesuits. The spacesuits are oh so sixties, especially with those, animated. 
Yeah, and they're, they're yeah. on the domes. I, I wish there was more of that. I think some of that footage survived. Certainly, some of the photos survived. Uh, but they look amazing. Those are superb 1967 spacesuits. They are. I would love to see those come back. Things about those spacesuits. One that you noted in uh, notes notice more in the animated version. I think in, in episode one is that the sunglasses, the combination with the sunglasses, look hella yeah. cool. And I kind of got War Games vibes from from that whole well, thing. From and just what a smart design choice. I don't know if it would yeah. occur to people these days. Oh yeah, why don't we complement them with these shades? Yes. because of the intense sunlight and then it just becomes this interesting memorable design yeah. neil armstrong but, was yeah. never this cool no <laughs> never never uh, of course we are two years before land man lands on the moon here so it is it is all a bit of guesswork but it's close hmm. right but the other thing i'll mention about the spacesuits, and you really see this <laughs> when they're walking away in episode four um towards the tardis it really is good for for all of their butts uh, I never thought I would <laughs> yeah. say but this, but Patrick Troughton has an amazing butt. You kind of really stand in this spacesuit. All yeah, right. There's nothing much wow. you can say to that. <laughs> but I, okay, so. So that you got, you got to be thinking about getting Troughton together with Whitaker at some point and them complimenting <laughs> each other on their looks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could have kind of a Captain America in, uh, you know, the the final uh, Avengers uh, movie where he sees right. his own butt. That is America's butt. Um, <laughs> but yes, crazy. the poly cocktail. <laughs> yeah. Going from uh, from sex to drugs, uh, the poly cocktail contains benzene, ether, and alcohol, which to uh, quote uh, Slim Pickens in Doctor Strangelove, shoot, fella could have a pretty fine weekend in Vegas. <laughs> uh, with with that lot, and indeed, ether is associated with fear and loathing in Las Vegas for me. Well, the uh, um, the Cybermen certainly got get a little, you know, <laughs> a little alcohol poisoning. You might say with them. There's a, in the animated version. There's even the bit where it's leaking, the the, the foam stuff is leaking not just out of their chest units, but also yeah. their mouths. Oh my! And God. apparently. Like, first of all, that's one of the reasons I would love to see the live version of episode mm-hmm. three. Uh, it, it looks okay on the animation, but I would really love to see that stuff gumping out and them sort of falling and dying in that moment. The um, I, I think, I, I, this might be misremembering, but I'm not sure if your research is the same as mine, where they, I believe this was actually one of the two violent moments that people have brought up in Doctor Who a few times because oh. it is just such a gross kind of thing and you feel like these cybermen are really not just dying but kind of suffering as this liquid comes out of them it's sort of a shocking thing yes we expected the cybermen to keel over and sort of die from this but they die in this kind of icky way that um i think some people were like there's this question is this too violent for kids you you definitely get i think a disclaimer if this was shot any later even in the 70s they would have said something like don't try this at home kids right Do not fill a spray bottle with with benzene, alcohol, and ether, and then spray it at the cat. You know, that, like, <laughs> really, really bad idea, right? Because they're filling spray bottles. There's, there's this very intense moment where, first of all, Ben suddenly becomes an expert in chemicals, which is a yeah. very odd situation. Well, and then spray bottles. I love the bit where he's actually explaining how a spray bottle works. And I think that might have been... it won't work in... in a vacuum. He knows that right. somehow. And... The the bit it's not clear he's speaking to Jamie who might need spray bottles explained to him, but yeah. like I feel 
like Polly should almost like turn to camera in a sarcastic way. So here's how a spray bottle works, Polly. And she would just kind of like, thanks, Ben. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Ben, Ben is a bit uh, spray splainy in this. Uh, We should say that, but also you bring up a good point, which is that is as good as this is for Polly. She actually gets the idea from Jamie talking about putting holy water on witches. Yeah. Which, what is going on here? And, and you What's know, going what on there at the Clan McCrimmon? And, and Clan McCrimmon. And I realized something, and, and I was going to save this for why the randomizer brought us here, but I, I just can't because I think it's relevant here. Um, the last time we saw uh, something like involving Jamie and water was Fury from the Deep. Which we went right. to right after the Witchfinders. So oh, I think yeah. I think the randomizer is trying to tell us there's something about Jamie that he actually was a witch hunter uh, in his McCrimmon life. Oh my! He seems to know a little bit too much about this. Wow! I hope he didn't go back to that. Maybe uh, when he got returned <laughs> to his people and stuff, and returned to his people, talk people with out a of it. Spray bottle. He secreted <laughs> a spray bottle in his kilt all this time, and <laughs> unleashes this uh, war against witches in 18th century Scotland. Um, yeah. yeah! Wow! So, okay. so listen, I want to give a big shout out to one moment. You said this is Patrick Troughton at the top of his mm-hmm. game. I think you're, really? I agree. I, I, after watching the making of documentary, I realized how much influence the director had. So the director's um, name is Morris Berry. Mm-hmm. And he was apparently a bit of a tyrant. And mm-hmm. he essentially got Troughton to, to dial back his impish performance uh, yes. for this one. And, and so because of that, I think the seriousness of it is is very very good. Now that said, Patrick Trouton's still Patrick Trouton. He's always going to have some of that fun ethos, and certainly the stuff he does with the collecting samples and stuff, which is really kind of goofy and nuts in some points, provides a little bit of that comic relief. But what this combo leads to is this brilliant exchange of bit of dialogue, where the Doctor is talking about evil being present. And I have the exchange right here because I just loved it, where the Doctor is like. Because there is something evil here, and we must stay. And Hobson says, evil? Don't be daft. And Doctor's like, he just digs in. Evil is what I meant. There are some corners of the universe which have bred the most terrible things. Things which act against everything that we believe in. They must be fought. And you're just like, ooh. like It's that kind of Doctor Who dialogue that coming from the Doctor that just makes you tingle. You're just like, this is it. This is the show. Yeah, the, the show is really finding itself in, in this moment, and perhaps in that moment of dialogue, you get the credo for the show. And you can imagine that if they did trailers for Doctor Who in general, not just like... <laughs> they do! <laughs> but, but, well, they do now, but, you know, in 1967. Yes. Like, you know, if they were just like, if the BBC was just doing a, hey, watch Doctor Who every week trailer they would use that bit. Right? Well, and there's so many great fan-made ones. I'm sure someone's done a modern trailer for the Trouton era and it yeah. must include this line. If it doesn't, put this line in. Re- recut it and put this line in because it's, <laughs> it's just perfect. Yeah, Trouton is, they're dialing down the the absurdity of, you know, the recorder has gone, the big hat has gone. Mm. Uh, and what you've got left still is is the Charlie Chaplin impression. He's still very, very cosmic hobo in this, but not like absurdly so. 
Yeah, exactly. Only Troughton is. You you do need to make it a bit more subtle, as Chaplin did himself, right? You know, but that's definitely the model here, and it's definitely what you know the the newbie that I like to show new Doctor Who definitely recognized the uh, the uh, the salute to Charlie Chaplin, the, the salute to the the tramp. Uh, it very much looks like that. Um, also nice. recognized the Cyberman as as the Gimp from Pulp Fiction, but. Uh, that's story. <laughs> okay, well, that's a good cue to answer a few <laughs> questions. And those questions are, of course, the four questions to Doomsday. First question, why did the randomizer take us here? Well, yes. Okay, so there's connection to uh, Amy's choice in the, uh, the, 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 the locking horns between the TARDIS crew. Right. Maybe. Uh, there's connections to the Reign of Terror because I don't think the Reign of Terror has this much dialogue in French. <laughs> That's right. It's funny the TARDIS translator just kind of craps yeah. out every now and then when someone gets really, really <laughs> into their own I'm language. Really, I'm really angry in French. Like That's when it happens. It's when the doctor's yeah. trying to take this dude's shoe, I think, that he goes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Loads of them in French. Uh, so, yeah, the, the randomizer really likes French being spoken. Um, by by someone in Doctor Who, last French Doctor Who, we've obviously been to the the girl in the fireplace. Um, yeah, this may be maybe a French bingo. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I think it's funny, like these last few stories. Amy's oh, choice you know maybe being the City exception. Of City of Death. We're going to have some French in that, surely. Do we? Is there French? They're definitely in Paris. I think there is a little bit, like here and there. But okay, so a couple things. Maybe we're going for Moon Bingo. We're getting close because we did um, Kill the Moon. Now we've done the Moon Base. We did Frontier in Space, which has a little bit on the Moon. I'm not sure how many more episodes actually take place on the Moon. This is certainly the first episode to have the entire thing take place on the Moon. Mm, and the so does also kind of like Bases Under Siege. I feel like we've had mm-hmm. more than our fair share. Um, yeah, and uh, I think most recently of of you know the Satan Pit. Um, yeah. Definitely since then, I mean that that's definitely got, you know, that's like the 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 mature example of the base under siege story versus this, which is very much the the baby base under siege. Yeah, we'll we'll know if we get to last last Christmas in the next little while. Mm. Then then it's definitely got a thing for base under siege. That's the most meta base under siege story for sure. But the last few have all been locked in on a date, more or less. Now, Amy's yeah. choice, not as much, because it the, the date doesn't matter as much, and it's a dream world, arguably. But it is the Amy-Rory era, which is pretty locked in in 2010, 2011, right? So it's pretty yeah. clear when that's supposed to take place, or you know, five years after, which would be 2015. But Curse of I Fenric, think. very clearly, I think they said 1942 or 43, but it's very clearly the year is set. Reign of Terror, they say the year... Because yeah, it's when Robespierre gets shot. Yeah. Um, and this one, 2070. Like, we're getting into these <laughs> very locked-in dates on all of these. Yeah, so, and the Doctor like, being a bit fuzzy on the dates also kind of goes with the uh, the Amy's Choice thing, right? From being fuzzy if it's 2010 or 2015. You know, that uh, this this one, it's like, is it 2050 or is it 2070? So, mild connection there. Yeah, and I think after this one I was sort of alluding to earlier, I think they learned not to do that as much. Because the if the seed by the time of the seeds of death, which again another base under siege, another one set on the moon, which we've done, is not not explicit about the date. 
it just kind of says 21st century, maybe 22nd century, and you kind of fill in the blanks on your own, mm. which tends to work better when you have a 60-year-old show and you start lapping the dates you've been at. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, when you're when you're doing that, you need to uh, you need to sort of be more vague about it. So, I think they learned their lesson after this one. Right, right. Specific year, the specific year connection. Okay, so so we got a lot of connections yeah. for the randomizer draw, and definitely there's there's the dream slash moon slash uh, phantom piper thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably the the big the biggest one. Yeah. So a lot of things to ponder on there, but the thing we really need to ponder on now is the second question, which is what if the evil plot had succeeded? Okay. <laughs> like we said, this is straightforward. <laughs> well, here it is. World over. Yeah, That's it. <laughs> yeah. So they use the Gravitron to destroy the world. By the way, this does... It's hard to see it succeeding, though, uh, any more than it has done here, because we're already giving the Cybermen the, the ability to cyber-control these people. And just there's one point where, where the dude just walks into the Gravitron with the yeah. cyber-controller thing on his head. Yeah. Uh, by the way, isn't it super weird that like when when the these diseased uh, pe- uh, base people wake up, they have to stick on the cyber controller that they just happen to have on by their sides? Like, shouldn't you take these away from them? <laughs> yeah, that's it. They keep them right by the bed. They yeah. should like again. There's there's bits of throwaway dialogue they they should have put in, uh, and that's one of them to make it make sense because. Well, they, they could, yeah. you can make it like, oh, the, the further away we put these things, the more they suffer. So maybe they, they have to keep them by them. They could, they could easily put that in. And one other piece of dialogue that they really needed to do, I don't know if anyone notices. I do, just because, you know, I'm a sci-fi fan and everything. But the fact that they make a big deal about the low gravity when they're jumping around and then they're on the base and it's Earth gravity. And it doesn't make sense, but the whole plot revolves around a thing that affects gravity. gravity. So fair enough. I can headcanon that really easily. Okay. Clearly there's artificial gravity in the base, but say that, just say it. Like why, why did, why are we heavier here now? It's like, well, because there must be some artificial gravity and then move on with it. Just, there's no line. It could, it took one line. Um, I really wish they'd put that in. Yeah. And I really wish they'd, they'd paid more attention to security because this dude just, does walk into the Gravitron zone to the Gravitron room and nobody notices that he's got black veins on his face and a cyber controller on his head. Um, he's just controlling Gravitron. It's a super weird scene. And there yeah. are a lot of sort of fever dream moments where you're like, wait a minute, you know, Hobson is like super suspicious of the doctor at one point and he's going to kick him on the moon. And then in the next scene, he's just forgotten. Mm. He was going to do this, the doctor. He's trusting the doctor again. So a lot of inconsistencies around that. But yes, uh, the Cybermen destroy us all. And I guess the crew on the moon remains. And the doctor, Ben and Polly and and Jamie just head off in the TARDIS and try and, you know, uh, just stick to other areas of Earth history from now on. Yeah, I guess. I would imagine they just all die. (laughs) Like, here's the thing. Another problem with the evil plot, it's just a bad evil plot all around. Because one, I think overall, killing everyone on the Earth for whatever reason is just really, really wasteful. The Cybermen should want to multiply their numbers. Any plot about conquering the Earth should involve converting the entire Earth. So number one, that that should be a thing. Um, But also, if you reduce it to taking over the base and getting control of the Gravitron, there's a bit in episode four where they puncture the dome. 
and the air is getting sucked oh out God. and everyone almost dies. And you're like, well, well, hold on a second. Why, why wasn't that plan A? <laughs> you know, like, what, what, why not just like, we everybody walks up and smashes the dome, all the Cybermen, right? Why didn't they just do that? We haven't talked about the brilliance of that moment, which is so sort of 60s, so sort of British post-war, make do and mend. You know, first of all, they stick a shirt in the hole. <laughs> yeah, it gets sucked out immediately. For five seconds. Um, and then they use the coffee tray. Or I, I think in a British context, you would call it a tea tray, even if you've got coffee on it. So there's a tea tray that just happens to be the perfect shape and size of the hole that just completely fixes it. Yeah. And, and such a wonderful coincidence. But yeah, I guess... I guess they would have to use more tea trays and we'd get the scene where they're like, we're, we're down to our last tea tray, sir. You know, one more <laughs> side of the makes the hole in here, we're done for. Oh my God, that'd be amazing. Tea saves the day, of course. It's, Brit it's a British show, guys. That's what it's happens. very British. It's like it's Saskatoon Pie saving the day in a Canadian show. And coffee is the, the sort of the weird, you know, we're, we're in the future now because people are drinking coffee, you know. We're going to make it just a little bit weirder. British people are drinking coffee. Whoa! So I guess if the evil plot succeeds, the Cybermen smash the dome, kill everyone quickly, uh, including the Doctor, Ben and Polly. Maybe the Doctor regenerates yeah. into Pertwee, but he's still suffocating. Or maybe the Doctor, because we've seen this before, can sort of make his way back to the TARDIS and live. And then, then he no. figures it out. I don't know. Stops the Cybermen at that point? Mm. I don't know. Maybe not. I, I really think we're, we're sort of missing a trick here, and the, the, the show was sort of missing a trick by kind of ignoring the sugar. So like, it, it's mm. almost like that was a tendril of a plot point that, that kind of didn't really go anywhere. But you could totally have the Cybermen taking over Earth a lot easier, a lot more efficiently, which is supposed to be the cyber way, by, by just infecting all of our sugar. Because surely by 2070, we are, you know, the obesity epidemic is in full swing. We're all consuming sugar constantly <laughs> so just put your space disease in there then you can cyber control us all at once there you go and you can it's like cybus all over again you just get the bluetooth headphones you put some cyber control in that those are the new headsets like everyone's walking around with airpods anyway yeah yep. they kind of ran with that evil plot in uh new who they they did they did there's a lot more more cyber control in us but but yeah the sugar the sugar i think is an untapped resource you know doctor who kind of looks at mundane things a lot and says what if they were scary well what if what if sugar was scary i think we need to revisit this rtd i think we need to right. kids out of their sugar haze remember kids sugar is bad that's what you learn from doctor who especially the moon base mm -hmm. all right moving on to the third question which is where is the clara splinter Well, not a lot of ladies in this story. In fact, Polly's the only one. That's right. Um, yes, it's very noticeable that by 2070, uh, women are just making coffee for scientists. So uh, it's kind of she's expected. She's definitely off screen somewhere. So the only people, like there's people back on Earth who are off screen. There are people in the Earth ship who are off screen mm. that eventually could get killed, which is really grim, by the way. Oh, yeah. They, the they all get sort of Earth gets thrown into the sun. Yeah, yeah, and you, you, you almost wanted more there, right? You wanted to kind of see them and feel that a little more. 
that all these people just got killed because the cyber and because the cybermen are so cold about it. I wanted to yeah. feel more emotion where and and see that contrast with the cybermen just being like, whatever. Yeah, we killed everybody who was coming. All right, now we're gonna take over the base. Um, but anyway, yeah. where's Clara? Is what we're trying to find where's out, Clara? and I don't really I'm, know. I'm, what's me, what's your answer? For me, it's obvious. It's obvious. Uh, Clara is the designer of the tea tray. helps to and it makes it just exactly the right shape for the for the hole that is created by the cybermen okay it's designed perfectly and and she just you know there's actually this unseen storeroom full of tea trays designed Mm. by clara uh that they don't end up needing but they're there you know she's got built-in redundancy okay that makes sense. I thought maybe she was supplying the base with adequate amounts of nail polish remover to ensure that there was <laughs> yes. a, a healthy amount of stuff there for to take on some Cybermen later. So, you know, maybe she used to be on the base and she really loved her nails uh, polished up all the time and she would just walk around and be really known for it. And then, you know, because they get the re- relief crews every now and then. So maybe she was part of a previous crew and she just left boxes and boxes of acetone all over the place. And it's like, okay, you guys you guys go ahead and use that. We, we can headcanon the, the all-maleness of, of this crew by saying that Clara is, is the controller back on Earth who's decided that the crews are going to be single sex. We're just going to alternate between all men and all women. <laughs> Uh, moon moon base crews. They they just get along better that way. Yeah, no drama. Well, the thing is, no though, drama. that's this is this is clearly 1967, because you know, I mean, there's always <laughs> there's no gay guys on the moon. No, no one among the crews. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there yeah. could be yeah. could be a it's, lot it's going on. Well, you know, she does a lot of screening beforehand to make sure that everyone will get on. And it's only but but the, I'm thinking that the previous female only crew is the one that brought up all, all the. Oh, there you and, go. And I see where you're going with that now. Gotcha. And that's good. That's she good. Made sure that one of them was addicted to ether. So there's a bit of that as well. All righty. We're going to move on to the final question in just a moment. But first, everyone, I wanted to let you know that you can subscribe to our newsletter, which has full notes on every story that we talk about at pulltoopen.net. And you get lots of good tidbits that we may not get to in the full podcast. So check that out. Also, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash pull to open. Another great place to support the podcast. Uh, and you can follow us on the socials. Go ahead, please. We're posting videos all the time on TikTok and pull to open. We're also at Blue Sky and pull to open. X slash Twitter. Can't not say Twitter. Come on. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, and threads at pull to open 63. Give us a shout. Give us a emoji. Give us a review. And just say hi. Do it all. Yes, and, and don't forget to vote on the Spotify poll, and you can tell us what you think of the the moon base. But before we reveal our rankings, Pete, your 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 kids liked it. Well, yes, my kids did like this. So Grace said she liked it. She really likes Polly. She really liked that she was in it a lot. That she got to sort of stand up for herself and, and basically just be in the story. So even though she was told to make coffee a few times, um, she thought she was great. She also thought the set looked really good. She commented on it, so that was cool. That she really got the sense of sort of the bigness here. And Jack really liked the scientific accuracy, or at least the attempts at it. Honestly, like. It's not too bad for 60s Doctor Who. There's a point, even one of the early lines where Ben says 
that they're 200 million miles uh, out from Mars, where I guess they were aiming for for some reason. Yeah. And that's about right. You know, in terms of where the Earth and the Moon are, it's about, you know, it obviously changes because of the orbits, but it's between 150 and 250, roughly. So, yeah. Oh, thank you, Jack. Thank you, Jack, because I was going to look that, I was going to fact check that, and it totally slipped my mind. So I'm glad that he did. Yeah, and you kind of learn stuff with the acetone and various other things. They definitely make had an attempt to do Doctor Who's education here with some science. So not too bad, not too bad. But that is leading us to, of course, the final question, the ultimate question, the only question that matters for the moon base. What did we think of this story? So the Polta Open rating system has six ratings. There is the Dalek, which is a good episode of Doctor Who. There is the Ogron, which is an irredeemably bad episode of Doctor Who. There's the Professor Hater, which is a not-so-good episode, but hey, at least they tried something. There is the Viscount Banger, which we reserve for the best of the best. There is the Fixed Point in Time, which is a show beyond rating, usually for reasons of nostalgia. And the Lady Cassandra, which is a paper-thin plot, but hey, at least it looks good. What did we think of the moon base? Okay, well, I'll go first here, because I don't usually do that. I'm calling this a Dalek. I am. Uh, yes, it's straightforward. Yes, it it you could argue it's a little plotty in places. We and the bits where they are doing just flipping switches and stuff that's clearly padding. So even for a four episode uh, uh, adventure, it's it's long. But uh, this is all about atmosphere. Like it's really like the Cybermen coming in. Uh, the slow sort of march at the end. I really really like them. Kind of like just the formation of these 11 cyber suits. Again, the production value is great. Uh, and coming in and like they're everyone in the base sort of worried we're coming again. It's, it's literally base under siege at this point. The cybermen bring out their gun and they have to use the graviton to stop them. Uh, again, it's all, this is all good atmosphere, good action for the time. Uh, this is, this is good doctor who. So yes, this is, this is a fine episode. And I want to give one more point if I may, mm-hmm. to Please. that episode one cliffhanger, which all of us watching it now cannot appreciate for the time, which is this is a, a cliffhanger where you, if you've seen the Cybermen before and you didn't even know they were ever going to come back and they're hinted at and maybe you see shadows and in the animation you certainly do, but you mu- think of, put yourself in the mind of someone in 1967 where the title of this thing is the moon base and you're only yeah. getting hints that the Cybermen are back and you don't actually see it until that cliffhanger and you see it come out in full view. It's so great. Like, uh, honestly, like this, I'm sure is the same feeling for those kids in 1967 that I had when I first saw Earthshock, which again, yeah. if you go and look back on it now, of course, everyone knows the Cybermen are in it. I didn't when I was watching the first episode of Earthshock. And when they have a big reveal at the end, it is so cool. And there is no better feeling. And this episode certainly had that. And I got to give it even more points for that. So it's a very solid dollop for me. Yeah, kids kids were just to that point. Kids would not have been spoiled unless they'd read the Radio Times, which uh, yeah. Big- big feature on the Cyberman did reveal what happens at the end of the episode in this big feature with a big picture <laughs> of the Cyberman. Yeah, they didn't really handle spoilers uh, well in the old days. But yes, I'm glad that it was called The Moon Base and not the original title, Return of the Cyberman. Um, <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> which, yeah, that was the what Kid Peddler was assigned. So I'm going to disagree with you. I have to say... 
I was, there were points where I was tending Ogron, but I think that this is a Professor Hater. I think it's a clear cut mm. case of a Professor Hater because we learned a lot. Like, clearly, this is a beginning of a formula. The show learned a lot. The show learned how to do base under siege. This is necessarily the best example of it. But they learned. They learned how you treat the doctor. They learned not to have the doctor talk to himself. Also, I think right. is, there's a weird scene. We haven't mentioned that. Like, there's one point where the doctor's got no companion to talk to. So we here is in a monologue, which is rare. Um, you know, again, mm-hmm. Patrick Troughton kind of knocks it out of the park. That's Troughton is a big reason why this is a hater and not a, not an Ogron for me, right? You, you learn... This is like Patrick Troughton set in stone. You learn who he is as the Doctor, what he does, how he works, you know, and, and the, the subtleties of his performance really come out here. Um, and it's also a hater, I think, in the sense that you're going to have a fine time watching it and kind of... The, there are many so-bad-it's-good elements to it. Uh, the... The, right. The UFOs space suits. when the yeah <laughs> yeah and the, when the UFOs land, it is a lot of people think this is the worst effect in all of Doctor Who. Like you can yeah. see the wire so clearly, they're not even trying. <laughs> not even yeah, trying and they just fling it away. There's not there's not not much to it. The, the, we I haven't mentioned the climax much at all because there isn't much of one. It's basically they align the gravitron and then all the Cybermen just get float float off. And you are a little bit like that's yeah, it, they, they float, which is nice. It's nice to see Superman float away. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, I can live with that. I can live with a hater. I, I, I think I almost what said Lady Cassandra too, because there are a lot of weaknesses here, but it looks good. I mean, for a nineteen sixty seven Doctor Who, this looks amazing. And but I do think that it's more than a paper thin oh, plot. Yeah. It's a straightforward plot, but it's not just paper thin. It's it's. It is. It, it's good. It's a good. It's a good episode of Doctor Who, in my view. Um, not the best, certainly. There but are moments. There are moments where you see the um, the cyber man who's back in the ship. It's kind of like a close up, and they've got this wonderful sort of pattern behind him. That I, I got Lady Cassandra vibes there. I also got THX one one three eight vibes. Like this is <laughs> George, George Lucas was going to be making the student version of THX one one three eight. Uh, I think the next year, um, but but definitely like the the close up of sort of the inhuman face and the, the, right. the low angle, like it's really kind of atmospheric in a lot of ways. So I think they learned how you shoot the Cybermen, you know, to make them look scary, and also how you shoot the Cybermen, how you don't do it right. As far as Professor Hater, you don't focus on their boots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Would never do that again. Well. Uh, they definitely learn how to be atmospheric where there is no atmosphere. And hey. with that, I'm going to bid adieu to talking about the moon base Indeed. and launch our own uh, time scanner slash ship to find out where we are going next. And that is, of course, the randomizer. That's right. Pausing only to down the end of my poly cocktail as, as we run off back into our TARDIS. We fire up the randomizer, and Pete has one element, the Codex, which is the list of all Doctor Who stories in sequential order, and we are slowly ticking down that number from wherever it was in 300-and-something range. Pete, what is the magic number of stories we have left to visit? That number, sir, is 192. Wow, 192. Crazy, Crazy, baby. Uh, so I plug those numbers into random.org. We get a random number between 1 and 192 using atmospheric noise 
uh, from random.org uh, using uh, Gravitron beams and uh, Cybermen floating up around in the atmospheres. They're probably there still or will be in 2070 um, rather than algorithmic randomness, which is just rubbish. Um, it's, it, is, it is stupid, as the Cybermen might say, mm-hmm. to use an algorithm to get a random number. And it is clever, clever, clever to use random.org but it's also clever or perhaps not so clever to issue challenges the randomizer uh (laughs) pete what's uh where would it be clever for the randomizer to go this time well i feel like i would be easy to just say let's do moon bingo i just i don't know what that is because i actually can't think of any Mm. stories set on the moon so we might already have it let us know if we haven't fans but i'm going to say kind of the opposite which Mm -hmm. is get us out of our solar system oh yeah yeah, so there's a lot of Earth-centric stories, obviously. There's even stories that go to places like Jupiter or other the moon or whatever. But let's, let's, why don't we, or Mars, of course, but let's go, let's go further out. Let's get out yeah, of the solar system. It's time to go to Vortis. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, no, no, let's not. Um, <laughs> we got to do it sometime. Say, let's not say we did. Um, I, I'm going to say, give us another cyber story. Because wow. in... In researching this, I realized we're kind of we're kind of light on the cyber stories. We are okay. It, it feels, I'm in. Well, it just feels like Clearly there, there are so many. I know you you love the Cybermen, so I'm doing this for you. But I'm also like, you know, well, I think you. cyber stories are better when you can compare them. Right, right, and that's fair. You know, when you can compare and contrast tr- across the years, you know. So give us something else, cyber. I'm not going to say take us to Earthshock, even though I'm. I'm kind of, the more we talk about Earthshock, the more I'm like, God, I haven't seen Earthshock <laughs> since the 80s. You know, I want to see if it holds up. Um, so, but I'm not going to say that specifically. I'm going to give you a broad remit randomizer, take us to any cyber story old or new. Nice. Well, there's three more in Trout and we haven't done, I believe. So mm-hmm. there's a there's a lot to choose from. Alrighty. Yeah, well, well I've seen. it's time to fire this up and go somewhere. Are you ready with the Executor? Indeed. Give me the countdown. It is happening in four, three, two, one. Emergency temporal shift. 115. We're Let's in here. Who I think. We are. Oh. It's all about me, baby. We are at 42. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Answer a number with a number. That's funny. 115 <laughs> is 42. So we're out of the solar system, but there are wow. no Cybermen to be seen. So, yeah. Maybe they're just off screen. Maybe the, the sixth cyber fleet is just hoving into view just at the very end of the story. Uh, there wow, you go. 42. Okay. Yeah. Well, that does definitely... It's a final randomizer tradition to do stories that are next to stories we've already done. And 42 is right before... Uh, human nature. Human nature? Yeah. 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 So, it's actually and, and filling out that, that third season, the third series right? from the back. How close? <laughs> yes, we're, we're, we've got to be pretty close to, to finishing that that season, right? Because we've we got, got the whole first half to do, though. Forward. Oh, okay. So it doesn't yep. end on anything in the first half. It just likes the second half of the third season. Okay. It likes when Martha's hit her stride. That's All right, right folks, okay. we're done hitting our stride here in this here podcast, which is, of course, Pull to Open, a podcast you can subscribe to or follow on whatever app you like. You might remember those social networks I mentioned a minute ago. I won't say them, only to say that we are at Pull to Open or Pull to Open 63 on all of them. We are really looking forward to rejoining y'all 
and talk about series three where we had Dr. Ten and Martha running around the galaxy and occasionally getting a little too close to certain stars. So we are going to be talking about that next time. We'll see you aboard the SS Pentalion. I have not been for some time. All right, get, get ready for trivia night. Bye.